Welcome to the Vinyl Call, your weekly podcast about craft beer and vinyl records. I'm your host, Alan Miller, joined today by Matt Pfeffercorn. Hello. And Lee. Hello. It's been a while since we've had Lee on here. Yeah, it's good to be back. How you doing, Lee? I'm doing real good. So today, we brought Lee along because he is a bit of a connoisseur of our niche genre, <laughs> I think is Connoisseur, fan. But uh, we all are, I'm, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. a big fan, and the album that we're talking about specifically today is, is entirely the reason why. And we all agree that our genre is Baroque pop, which is the the offshoot of late 50s, 60s pop music with strings and classical elements, harmonies, things like that. We're all in agreement that the best album of that broke pop period is pet sounds absolutely matt you concur on that probably <laughs> matt's the one holdout you get that out of the way first matt's matt's the are one you, that's still you, a little unsure about pet sounds he's still going to try and submit their satanic majesties <laughs> actually i'm a big fan of the zombies so that's, okay uh, I mean, that's actually you know i have thoughts about that later so before we get too deep into it the beer <laughs> we are drinking today is a avery brewing what is that? I didn't know that the bar had a phone. Yeah, apparently it does, and it has a fancy ringtone. So the beer we're drinking today is Avery Brewing Raja Double IPA. Uh, the Prince of IPAs, it the says on the, <laughs> on the can. It's really good. It's delicious. It's, it's a good it beer. It is good. It's an 8%. Uh, I don't know what the IBUs are on it. didn't see that anywhere. Uh, but Avery Brewing are... Out of, why can't I find where they're from? Matt, do you know where they're from? Colorado. Boulder, Colorado. There it is. It's a good town. Yeah, it's a lot of good beer comes out of Colorado, too. Absolutely. Yes. I think Stone is based out of Colorado, aren't they? It's the water, man. Mountain water. Yeah. That's what makes it. Really good stuff. Uh, That's an in-joke for for, uh, uh, what shoppers? What? Not CVS, but Walgreens shoppers. What was their beer? They used to sell. Oh yeah! Nobody remembers that garbage. Oh my god! Walgreens um, had a beer. Oh yeah! Cedar Falls or something falls. So, something like that. And on the can, it's the water that makes it, man. Yeah. It's the water wow. That beer I'm was bad. New. They don't make it anymore. Oh do no, they? they don't. And thank goodness for that. Something falls. It, yeah, and it was it was it was cheap. I didn't that's, know the Walgreens that's the end of beer. that. They had their own beer. Yeah. That's so impressive. While we're talking about people having their own beer. Aldi grocery mm. store has their own beer. Tell me no. But it it's uh, they basically are copies of bigger beer. Like there's a Heineken and a Shiner Bach, but it's like I don't know, Aldi Bach or something. And it's, really? Yeah. So they're going like the Trader Joe's route with it where yes. they're just rebranding as theirs. Yes. And Aldi Underrated. I, you know, I don't know if they need a beer, but as grocery stores go, underrated. Just a thought. Yeah. Yeah, all these, all these good. Um, so, so what do you guys think so, of Raja? <laughs> of the Raja. Raja. I think it's awesome. It is really, really good. Uh, it's very malty, maybe? Yeah, I mean, unfiltered like for sure. It's got a lot of, um, a lot of body to it. It's kind of more on that American yeah. IPA. Yeah. Big Flats was the big flats oh thank you matt it's the water that makes it someone can find us a can of big flats and mail it to us how long you think it's? i'm sure somebody's still got one in the fridge somewhere 
Mellow Matt's music and more. 1200 Small House Road, Bowling Green, Kentucky, 42104. Or mail us cans of Rasha. Yeah. Please. Delicious. I'd love to get this. It used to be a bomber. And then I think I, they still have it in a bomber. Do they still do the yeah, bomber? Yeah, I just grabbed the cans for this the one. The cans are big now. I think eventually they're going away. I love that. I yeah. love the fact that cans are, are Is it really... a four-pack or a six-pack? It's a six, it. I believe. Six. I believe it's six. But I, that's something else I kind of like to talk about a little bit is the fact that everything's kind of going to cans. And it's alum- great. Aluminum, mm-hmm. man, infinitely recyclable. Yeah, like why, why put it in bottles unless it's like a giant bottle of something? I understand that, but like... Normal size bottles. I mean, you know, if I've got the choice for two hearted, it's a great example. Oh yeah, two hearted comes in in pint cans mm-hmm. or in bottles. Why not go with the cans? Give me the tall boy. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. As I, widespread says, sipping on a tall boy. Sipping on a tall boy reminds you of college. Boy, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going down that path of widespread because we are talking about broke pop today, which is as far away from widespread as we can probably. I think get. you're right with that. Eight um, life grand. Oh, boy. So <laughs> so just to give a little bit of background about Baroque pop, it's basically 60s and, and late 50s pop music mixed with orchestral, strings, uh, certain type of harmony patterns, a lot of different percussive elements. It's, it's just grandiose pop music, to put it simply. Absolutely. Um, but there's also really interesting melodies and things in, in Baroque pop that you don't find in like the Phil Spector version of pop music of the 60s. Um, although there might be some crossover here and there, yeah. but uh, the reason we picked Beach Boys Pet Sounds is because that whole album personifies the Baroque pop m- movement. Absolutely. It was a lot of things really coming to a head, I think. So tell us about Pet Sounds, Lee. <laughs> well, uh, well, as far as, uh, you know, kind of to... What's, exp- your, what's your personal connection to Pet Sounds first? Uh... Oh God, that's actually a weird one. Uh, a girl that I dated, I mean, years and years and years ago, that was one of those like, you know, very young, oh, she's my girlfriend. I don't know, maybe junior high. Right. Her her mom, who was who was just in love with me, who cared for me a, a, a hell of a lot more than that girl actually did, just was really taken with me and, and like wanted me to stick around and wanted to impress me. And she gave me a copy of Pet Sounds. I was like 11 years old. And I did not get it. Like, you know, you, you, you're raised and you drive around with your parents and you listen to the radio. And so you've heard God Only Knows. I'd probably heard Sloop Maybe. John B. But I'd Sloop John B. for sure. I mean, Forrest Gump came out in yeah, the mid-90s I, and Sloop I, John B. was all over Forrest that. I Forrest Gump, absolutely. But right. on the whole, I really didn't get the record. Probably somewhere around like 15 or 16, you know, you go back. I'm digging through CDs. I need to put in my car. I'm out. I've listened to everything. And I pulled out and I'm like, okay, let's give it another shot. And of course your mind just gets blown wide open. Like the moment that you're ready for it, Pet Sounds is, is it, it just is a masterpiece. I, I know it, that everybody and their mother knows that. There's nobody who argues it really, at least as far as like real critics go. You know, if you want to talk about something that's like the most highly rated album of all time, it's probably that. And so it's you want to say like ah it's overrated no it's really not Matt's over here nodding his head and it's just really not and it uh, you know to this day it's a gift that keeps on giving because there's so much to it every time you listen other melodies are popping out sticking out you hear things differently 
every single time because there's so much to dig through. Yeah, I I tend to feel that way about it. Although, you know, the Beach Boys are one of those great bands, kind of like, you know, the Stones or the Beatles, where everybody has their favorite type of Beach Boys sound or type of Stones sound or type of Beatles sound. And to me, like, I always really enjoyed Pet Sounds, still do. But when I got the uh, the Smile Sessions... See, yeah. That and, really did it for me. Like, that, that's that's more the sound I was looking for. And I, I totally feel that, although that one's an interesting one because if, if you've listened and depending on how you've gotten it, like it's the MP3 era, you may have heard... Oh, I never dug into it until it came out on vinyl. Yeah, exactly. Like in so, the mid-2000s. So, so, like, digging through it in the MP3 era, I probably heard, like, three different, you know, quote, like, versions of right. that until the, the Smile Sessions was actually released. But I agree with you, man. Smile had the potential to be, I think, just as good as Pet Sounds. And I think there's, you know, it's one of those rare... I think we were talking about, like, lost albums at the shop the other day and how, for the most part, like... You got that Zombies Lost Album mm-hmm. record store day a couple years ago. The Kinks had that one lost album. Kinks had that one mm-hmm. lost album. And you know what? I love both of those bands. Both of those albums were lost for a yeah, reason. right. You know? I, but yeah. Smile was was lost for bad reasons. It, it, it had the potential to be great. And so I do hear that. And years later when I was able to really dig through that, and yeah, once it got released on vinyl. And the thing about the Smile Sessions is it's basically pet sounds but more experimental. Like it's taking, I mean, it, it's taking lot, the pop constructs away from pet sounds. The, the pop kind of dissolves into the psychedelic. I mean, honestly, just the acid. It's just, yeah. It's when you get drugs. into like heroes and villains and into surfs and, up and, and into, and, all and that's that the sort thing. thing. It's seen so many different track lists. Now I think that the smile sessions personally for me was the perfect track list. You start with what is it? Our prayer. Yeah. Well which, there's, and there's a million different takes of things on that yeah, too. Absolutely. But to me, the track listing of that is everything. Starting with Our Prayer, working your way through all the tracks, heroes and villains and vegetables and all that stuff, but culminating. The most important thing to me is that it culminates in yeah. good vibrations. It's such a journey. Yeah. So many different track lists. There were bootlegs of it through the 70s and 80s where good vibrations showed up in the middle. I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing? No. But I guess the way we can we can compare the two... Because Smile Sessions came right after Pet Sounds, but mm-hmm. the way we can compare the two is to say that when you're talking about Baroque pop as a genre, Pet Sounds is that sound. Well, whereas I- Smile Sessions are like taking that sound, mixing it with psychedel- psychedelia and experimentation. And, and that's kind of, you know... Where they still had the lid on it on Pet Sounds. The lid is still firmly on the jar. And, and Brian was functional. Yeah. <laughs> For, for the sessions of Pet Sounds, and you know what, maybe the myth is kind of carried on. Maybe he's more functional than we're led to believe during the Smile Sessions, but Brian, for Pet Sounds, was at just this peak, you know. He had had that meltdown after, what was it, Shindig? Or, it was a TV appearance. Yeah. They got on a plane, he had a meltdown, so he stopped touring, and... What I I meant by saying earlier that it's like a culmination of all these things is that now Brian is at home. The band is touring. Brian has heard, you know, for years and years, everybody, they're growing up and they're they're digging Motown. They're digging Phil Spector. He's out in California. He's digging, I mean, Burt Bacharach pen tunes. All this, like, exotica. All of these things which themselves, like, prior to, you know, we're talking about Baroque pop, 
you could arguably call pet sounds like baroque rock i mean there's some overlap in there whatever producers like phil Spector and burt Bacharach had been using classical instrumentation string sections woodwind sections horns classical guitar for you know long time 10 years yeah eight ten years um and around the mid to early 60s you get songs like uh the zombies she's not there is often cited as being like the most like right before like influence on baroque pop you know there's no harpsichord but it's got this kind of organ solo that has a lot of those like flourishes similar to like a harpsichord solo it's got these vocal arrangements that are very complex and like we were listening to waterloo sunset earlier that's another good example yeah Waterloo Sunset, I think, so what, something else would have been like late 65? No, 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 actually, because Face to Face was 66. That would have been 67. Okay. So that that comes a little bit after. But yeah, it falls in the thing. Same same movement, same general. Absolutely. Um, So he's listening to all these producers out in California who have utilized it for a while. And then Brian hears Rubber Soul. And now Rubber Soul, it had in my life. Which is definitely something I consider to be Baroque pop. It's got the harpsichord. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, and But the, the important part was that Brian heard this record and, and thought to himself, like, this is an album with no filler. And I want to do that. I want to make an album. I want to make the greatest rock and roll pop album of all time. I want an album with no filler. I want everything to be important. Beach Boys are gone. They're on tour in, fucking, I don't know, Japan. And... Um, <laughs> And Mike loves on a jet ski somewhere. I mean, probably, honestly, being an asshole somewhere. <laughs> Dennis Wilson's out high fiving Charlie Manson somewhere. <laughs> and and Brian <laughs> gets together with all of with the Wrecking Crew, this group of musicians who had worked with Phil Spector. You know the wall. Which of, that documentary, we sh- everybody should watch that every, documentary. Yeah, it, dude, it's all on Netflix. It's it's everybody it's, and anybody should watch that documentary. Go. It's mm-hmm. so good. Most of those guys are so funny and personable. Really good documentary. This incredible batch of musicians who had been working with Bacharach as a songwriter and a producer, who had been working with Phil Spector on the what, like Dionne Warwick stuff and the Ronette stuff and all that. He gets those people together and he sets out to make this thing, which is inspired by all of those, you know, the Bacharach, the Phil Spector, the Beatles, Rubber Soul. The zombies, I mean, the zombies, she's not there, immediately predated the writing of California Girls, which was the first song that Brian penned. Really? Yeah, it did. And it was the first song that Brian penned under the influence of LSD, which is another big California factor. Girls was the first one? I shit you not. That is the first song that <laughs> he He must have had a bad batch. <laughs> that is not. And And the truth be told is it's the first song that really kind of shows the direction that he's heading you don't because it's still like a car as brian would put it like one of our songs about cars yeah but but there are some easily. elements in california girls yeah, it's, it's, with the with the percussion and the bells and like the jingles and, and, and stuff in yeah, the background and the, the harmonies I, th- I think it's like I get the, it. the pre-chorus of the song breaks into this weird like organ and i mean by that like not electric but like a pipe organ yeah yeah some weird shit and he's he's doing all these things, and truth be told, he's still taking a lot of those drugs, which that's the thing that we're talking about with like Baroque pop, and you were talking earlier about the overlap with psychedelic 
Matt, you were talking about like zombies. I assume you mean Odyssey and Oracle. Yeah. Baroque pop, psychedelic. Baroque pop kind of was the introduction for rock and roll music. It was the first vehicle of expression for the effects of all these psychedelic drugs that they were taking. Yeah. It was a maturing of rock and roll into more complex structures. You know, the like, I think you would call it the contrapuntal. I don't even know what that means. That it's the harmony. Oh, okay. so counterpoint gotcha. basically. Counterpoint, yes. Um, meaning, so you'll have like almost like the row, row, row your boat. Like the you'll have yeah, melodies when that they layer echo, it together. Yeah, and they're the same thing in like melody and harmony, but they're different in rhythm and all these complex things about it. Which is common in classical music, but not so common in pop music. Not so music common in pop and rock music. And then you get like, so the instrumentation, like the harpsichord is really important to like mm-hmm. the Baroque pop. Yes. You're talking about like the mamas and the papas using it in like Monday, Monday, Beatles using it in, in my life, Stones using it on uh, what, uh, Don't Play With Fire, right? I think so. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And uh, it's definitely on She's a Rainbow. Yeah. She's, a, I mean, all over. Yeah, Majesties. Um, and uh, mess of an album. <laughs> and and you could you could compare that like the jangle, the high timbre, the like, treble. Satanic Majesties. Like if we compare that to Pet Sounds, that's like if Pet Sounds would have went wrong. Like Satanic Absolutely. Majesties is what we would have got. A couple great songs and then a whole couple lot of great filler. songs and a lot of <laughs> terrible songs. Yeah, you know. And but yeah, you can consider like the harpsichord. Think about like the jangle of the harpsichord, right? And then, like, the jangle of, say, the 12-string guitar, the birds, you know, the zombies, the kinks, the Beatles. There's a lot of overlap there of those things. In the psychedelic and the Baroque pop, there's a lot of overlap. Mm -hmm. It was this maturing of rock into something different, which eventually became psychedelic rock. I mean, even you could argue progressive rock, just in the complexity of the arrangements, Right. I mean, art, yeah, definitely. Art rock. It was some people call it the first concept album, although Brian Wilson himself says that it's a concept album in production. Yeah, like I mean thematically, there's there's not necessarily a straight there's, theme there's lyrically a, or anything like there's that. There's not a story. Runs. I mean, lyrically, so Brian had met up with a guy named Tony Asher who was a writer he was a lyricist. He he was writing jingles for commercials at the time. They had met in 1965, the year before this album, and Brian had wanted to co-write with him. And so they got together and they became really fast friends and were just writing from the understanding that Brian had put forward that he wanted to write basically teenage love songs mm-hmm. lyrically. He wanted to talk about those like teenage feelings, those young things. And so they're trading these experiences back and forth as they get to know each other, really autobiographical and very revealing. And Brian has all these ideas, Tony Asher. Basically, the way that Tony puts it is he translated them. Brian's idea is Tony's words a lot of the time. And so the unification lyrically is all these like teenage, like... Mm, okay feelings that makes sense but there's no real story if you try really hard you can look at say like but you know the the same way they call dark side of the moon a theme a theme around insanity with all these little parts that all play into that or even you can do the same thing the kinks is face to face is like a concept album around just british living yeah 
but there is no story. There is no story arc. It's not overbearing. It doesn't beat you over the head with concept. The way that it's unified is in its production. It sounds, it soundscapes, it's arrangements. And then, yeah, like if you want to say like, well, God only knows Mm -hmm. all these like heart pangs and love story and all this stuff. And you go a couple tracks and then you get to like here today where it's like, if you look at the same narrator at one point is giving you God only knows. And then he goes out and he tries his best and this relationship falls apart. And now he's coming back to you with here today. Like, yeah, I thought that once, (laughs) but also sometimes shit goes really bad and then it all just goes away and you're left by yourself and you're very lonely and sad. Let me ask Matt this question since he's, he's a little less in love with the album. All right. Yeah. Um, true statement well just for a qualifier how many times do you think you've listened to the album I know you said you normally do a yearly listen (laughs) yeah um nah 25 so you've had you've had some time you've spent some time Mm -hmm. with the album um are there tracks that you really enjoy on the album uh yes I of course like God only knows that's a gimme. Can we all kind of agree like that's gimme. probably that's a great the song. high watermark if, if, of the whole album? That's a five-star yeah, song. If Paul McCartney thinks that's the greatest song ever written, it's probably pretty good. Yeah. Just a it's fair point. Yeah. yeah. But are there any others that you kind of... Not really. Oh, man. <laughs> and I was... I, Well, here's my thing. Well, with let me it. ask this real quick to Lee, since he probably can tell us. Was Good Vibrations supposed to be... Yes, good, vibra- good vibrations sounds. was written for pet sounds, and on the original couldn't finish it. On, well, on the original track list that Capital got, it was on the album. Okay, but Brian pulled it because yeah, he didn't. didn't even it though it enough. arguably was a completed song, he didn't feel it was done. And and something that I think is just interesting before I let Matt give that thought, pet sounds, all these musicians, all this arrangement, all this time, all this work, it cost. in 1966 money. You could look at that in today's money as being a little over half a million. That's an expensive album. Yeah. Later, when Brian actually went to finish Pet Sound, or not, excuse me, Good Vibrations, just the song, Good Vibrations, it took months and months, I think like six months of tweaking, re-recording, rearranging. Well, he drove all those those musicians mad. Absolutely bonkers. (laughs) But... $50,000 $50,000 spent on Good Vibrations alone in 1966 money before it was finally finished. So if if Good Vibrations, if we can count that as part of the, the legacy of Pet Sounds. Go ahead, sure. Matt, Good yes. Vibrations, is that one that you... No. No. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> man. I'm not, I'm not a Beach Boys fan. I was even setting See, it up to try, that, to, uh, to try to help. You know, what about like Sail on Sailor or Surf's Up or any of those? Are you not even? I mean, they're okay. Yeah. It's so, great for store listening. Yeah. Um, in the background. That's a good point. The high harmonies and that whole California sound thing, mm-hmm. I just am not into. That's fair. Jan and Dean you know all that type of of course if we use jan and dean as an example we can't that's your poor man's speech voice right <laughs> yeah, but we can't compare that to surf's up there's just there's absolutely no no no, no. 
there's no way to compare. But if we're talking Baroque pop, there are there is a ton of Baroque pop bands that you like. I love, I've discovered I love Baroque you pop. You love a Baroque the association. pop. <laughs> wouldn't it be yeah. nice, I guess, Procol is Harum. on there. I should, I like that song. Hey, yeah, Harum's wouldn't great. it be nice? Come on, yeah. Caroline, no. All right, I'll listen to it again tomorrow. Fine. You know, um, you can borrow one of my two copies. I, I have them both. <laughs> what I think is funny is in the Wikipedia it lists Stone Pony's different dramas as Baroque pop. I mean, there's, I there's, a, see that. there's a harpsichord in it. But so, we were just talking about that album a few I minutes know. ago. And there's was, so many things. And that's that you, a good song. There, it it's is. Great song. But it comes down to their vocals. That's what I don't like about the Beach Boys. And Mike Love. I mean, and Mike, Mike Love. Mike what Love. a Mike, jackass. Yeah, Mike Love is a, is a piece of human garbage. I watched that speech like a month ago that he gave in 88 at yeah. the. Uh, at what, Reagan? No, no. At the inducted in the Hall of Fame where oh, he God. called out Springsteen and the yeah. Stones and we're better than you. <sighs> You know what? You're not. You're not. <laughs> You're not. And Mike Love had had not to do a shit not at all. Like Mike, if Matt had like one way to go back in time, like Back to the Future, he would literally go to that speech and just stand up and go, "No, <laughs> you not. Not. Pu- not. not. Punch Mike Love in the dick." And it's, <laughs> it's not that I want to hate on the Beach Boys. The album is fantastic. Yeah. It is a great album. It is a benchmark in history. It's just not for you. It's just not for me. And, Fair enough. And, and and even here's the thing for me. I don't listen to anything Beach Boys before today. 1965, Beach Boys Today. That's where mm. Brian, by that point, he was doing a little bit of acid. Yeah. You know, and what was the one after that? Summer Days and Summer Nights. Two exclamation points. Um, <laughs> those are are all right albums. I think probably in the time it was a really impactful step up in the arrangement. Looking back on it after everything, maybe not so much because then you get pet sounds, which obviously I'm here. I'm gushing about. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love smile sessions, which means I put up with smiley smile. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't own a copy of Surf's Up on vinyl. We had one in the store. Surf's Up, not a great album. It's really mm. not. It, but it's the last, in my opinion, passable. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to shit after that or before Holland, those albums. Go Holland. I maybe I need to give Holland another shot. I think it's be- okay because the still cruising. I mean, <laughs> and, or what? What was the one that had Kokomo? What was that? Well, it was on the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Brian hated that song. Know. It's worth noting. Well, I mean, Brian hated yeah. it. He doesn't hate that song anymore. <laughs> and, Who wants to start? <laughs> yeah. And and really, like, a lot of people for a long time, Pet Sounds was seen more as a Brian Wilson solo release, which is kind of fair. Caroline. You know who did love that song, though? John Stamos. He loved Kokomo. Poor thing. He was a big fan of that one. It was on the Full House episode. Uh, he played with the Beach Boys. Oh, yeah. Which, you know. <sighs> no. Well. I won't even. That's fine. <laughs> Fucking assholes. Oh, boy. Dennis, you asshole. All right, so... Oh, I thought you were talking about John Stamos. <laughs> oh, whatever. <laughs> Stamos can do his thing. Listen, cut it out. All right, so <laughs> moving through... I think you brought up something really important earlier when you started talking about prog rock with mm-hmm. Baroque Pop. I guess if you want to look at a, a bridge between the two, you could probably look at Soft Machine or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, it's more jazz and stuff into that as well. But 
I think Proco Harem is not a bad way to bridge it either. Because Wider Shade of dude, Pale. A wider Shade of Pale, 1967. Yeah. It's Baroque Pop. But Salty Dog is is Prague. It's yeah. getting more yeah. into like expanded pieces. It's interesting. It's interesting um, no, to, I mean, that's to view absolute... Proco Harem as a, as a bridge. Yeah, and that's that. absolutely true. Yet another band that after a certain year, you do not listen to any albums by no, Proco no, Harem. No. And, and the thing is, like, the breadth of Baroque pop has honestly been forgotten. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, what do we put on? We just on... call it pop now. We just, yeah. we just think and, of it as and, 60s and what, pop. And what, what do we put on an association record? Like, pick your favorite. One ninety nine, two ninety nine. Nobody comes in buying the association. Like, what would you put on Honey Bus if we found a Honey Bus record? Even like, probably not much. Although maybe I'm wrong. I'll get on Discogs later and be surprised. But you know, a lot of this stuff has been lost to time mm-hmm. and has fallen out of favor. So that now, sounds, right? That sounds is not one of them. So, so let's let's talk about the revival of baroque pop into chamber pop as they call it now but yeah. just that that revival of that sound So getting into uh, current time period, I'm gonna throw some some names out at you guys and see what you see what you think. Um, Arcade Fire, I think with Neon Bible, they had some baroque pop influence, especially with songs like Intervention. Yeah, it has okay, that I huge that. organ sound. They like using more folk instruments like hurdy gurdies and things yeah. like that to to influence their sound. But Not so many harpsichords or harp- spiels or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> whatever one of the 20 people on stage plays. Um, but I do feel like they symbolize a little bit of that Baroque pop movement with the I, way they, they make their songs. I feel that. I mean, I think, you know, reflectors, we're not counting that. Of course. No. That's, um, I think what's really kind of tough with it is that, I mean, Baroque pop on the whole pet sound specifically, it was kind of what was the Velvet Underground joke? Like, not everybody bought a copy, yeah. but everybody who did started a band. Right. Pet Sounds had like a similar influence. It was like not super successful in the time versus their other albums, but hugely, hugely influential. And the way that that influence branched out, when you get to these modern bands, it's hard to say. Like, are you taking your IV like direct from Pet Sounds mm-hmm. or are you taking your IV from one of the thousands of albums projects bands yeah directly influenced well i think all loads all, all roads are going to lead back yeah to that mid to late 60s era yeah where all those bands <laughs> were influencing each other absolutely yeah. you know around sergeant pepper pet sounds odyssey and oracle all these albums oh, yeah. were all just swirling and everybody was hearing what everybody else was doing and, and making you know even hendrix jumped into it with mm-hmm. axis man axis Absolutely. bold as love has some really big pop influence in it Absolutely. there's a lot of songs that are 
they're just not yeah. standard Hendrix tunes. They're not as bluesy and, as some of his other stuff. And, and the wall of sound production, which at the end of the day, like was a big part of Baroque pop. Right. Phil Spector, his influence, like always looming over that just went on forever. I One mean, interesting thing on this, on this Baroque pop playlist I was looking at online was boy with the thorn inside the Smiths. Nope. You guys Some don't, people are trying real hard. I don't Sorry, get that. Now, I do get Foxygen with San Francisco. Oh, absolutely, because they're taking that direct line straight back from all the 60s. And, and But I also, that's one problem I have with Foxygen, is I don't feel like they're doing anything to put their own spin on it. No, and honestly, two albums. I listened to the newest one at the shop. I think we had a copy of like the, the indie, indie exclusive yeah, or whatever, and I was did. like, you know what, I'll give a listen. Maybe I want to buy that. I didn't, but it was better than I expected it to be. Yeah. Uh, but no, man, that first one, Ambassadors of Magic and yeah. Peace and Love, and yeah, uh, contributes absolutely nothing new. I still think is brilliant. No, it's a great, great I, album. I still think it's just the way yeah. that they combined. Here's a little bit of Mick Jagger. Here's a little bit of Bob Dylan. Here's a whole lot of the kinks. Oh, my God, a lot of the kinks. <laughs> And we're still just trying to find those people that will take that and make it their own, though, instead of just like flip it into. Anybody ever considered that maybe possibly rock and roll is dead and nobody's going to do that again? Except for Sleeper Agent. Stop trying to push your product, Lee. Don't bring that up. Nobody <laughs> needs that. Just get that shit out of here. So, um. um... That is what a joking moment that's going to get edited out, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, yes, it will be edited out. Um, so what about Bell and Sebastian? Yeah, I see that. I mean... I feel that, too. They're like they're like a mix of like Simon and Garfunkel with, <laughs> with Brooke Pop. That's another one, honestly, that we probably should have talked about more, Simon and Garfunkel. But anyway... Um, I don't even know. Yeah. I don't Man, even know how you even... Look, y'all, haters going to hate I no, no, I love hey, it. I, I just don't know how you describe it. Yeah, I don't know the how. song America, right? That's yeah. very Baroqueish. A- absolutely. A and lot of it has to do with those way they do those chord changes, the way they flow in and out like yeah. a classical piece well, would. I, yeah. So you I know? talked about counterpuntal, yeah, harmony earlier. There's also, if I'm remembering this correctly from my time in in, in music school, uh, functional harmony, mm. which is. Again, if I'm remembering correctly, basically this kind of subversion of the way that typical like chord structures work, and like what do keys even mean? What what what's the value in saying that you're in the key of A? There's no point of that. Yeah, these just like really complex structures, at least really complex as compared to your typical pop. Right. You know, one two five or one four five or whatever. Some, uh, and you you might disagree with me on this one too though but as far as modern takes on it uh that first vampire weekend album oh absolutely m79 harp scores yep. all over it yeah it it's it's very much indebted to that absolutely to that sound i think and it's maybe not as structured as that was but mm-hmm. it's de- it has that sound though. absolutely i mean they're definitely vibing off that and kind of you know putting almost this like punk element to it and people are going to like, oh, but it's like just the simplicity. Yeah. So they take the sound, the timbre, and they reduce it to some some real basic structures. But honestly, as they've gone on, I would consider modern vampires of the city actually more Baroque pop 
because they take not just the sounds, they actually take on some of those more complex structures and arrangements. Um, yeah, and, and I can see that. I don't know. I don't know if I feel it as strongly as you do. I, I don't know how I feel about modern vampires. You because, get that shit out of here right now. No, I love it. I, I don't know how I feel about it in, in like genre, like. I don't know how to. I don't know how I feel about it as far as putting it into into anything. You know why that is? It's a great album because it's the best album featuring guitars of like at least the last five years. Featuring guitars? Yeah. I mean, of like guitar-based music. Uh. Of white dude music. I would I would take Queens of the Stone Age like Clockwork over that. Get that shit out of here. You get out of here. <laughs> We're gonna have a fight on That's the podcast. Fine. Modern Vampires <laughs> of the City, dude. Yeah, if I've got to talk about guitar work that's blown my mind, I think that last Queens album just completely blew me away. I, basically, all I meant by that is not like straight up pop or like hip hop. Oh, okay. It, it's just like, you know, guitar based music being a catch all for anything. Yeah. Rock and roll, white guy pop. And but I know there again, that, Modern Vampires, is it is it like guitar based? Like That's a, a fair point. There's a lot going on on it's, that it's, album. It's a, it's a quick and dirty catch-all. I don't want anybody yeah. getting on here like yelling at me about it, because I get it. But, but I, I do hear what you're saying with the Broke Pop influence and with the structure. Absolutely. It's structured very... I think the... Uh, what's the guy? Bob, Bob Maggi or the... Oh, uh, Rostam. And Rostam, I'm yeah. not going to try. We'll, His we'll name is Rostam. Rostam, and I, I love you very much, Rostam. I, I haven't worked yeah. really hard on pronouncing your no, name. No, I ba- haven't either. Batlaman. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get yeah. to is his last name, but... Rostam, we'll call him Rostam. Rostam. His the way he structures a lot of the stuff he does mm-hmm. on that album is really interesting. And and just kind of in general, even moving on to like one of the other things about Baroque pop, like it doesn't have to be, you know, orchestral instruments. It doesn't have to be harpsichord. Sometimes it's like classical guitar. Yeah. Taking a nod to that like exotica thing, and he. Well, and Grizzly Bear is really good at that. As I well. was waiting to bring up Grizzly Bear. Yeah. That was going to be my next point. But you know, speaking on Rostam. He gave a lot of that to the, um, oh, I'm blanking on the actual main guy's name. The dude from the Walkman who, oh. who did the solo album with Yeah, Boston. Hamilton. Hamilton, yeah. Light, Lighthouse. Hamilton, or... yeah, exactly. Yeah. He gave a lot of that to that album, which is a pretty good album, you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, I like it. It has a lot of that same kind of arrangements, uh, the way that they construct the melodies. Yeah. But I and that this all leads back to why Pet Sound still works because even if you're in college or high school right now and you're just listening to all these newer artists, they all harken back to that sound that we've we've still never really moved too far away from that late '60s sound. I mean, even if we have, it's been temporary. They're outliers. They're yeah, all outliers. You know, Our it, main focus is still on that songwriting style of the late 60s yeah and i mean that's the thing is like you know the the world moved on to like big showy arena rock and cock mm-hmm. rock and all that stuff and it's like that lasted cock it had rock. Its time. that's another genre we're gonna have to do is cock rock y'all, y'all can y'all can talk about kiss that's fine i mean oh, man hell no <laughs> they um, might be the number one cock rock band unless yeah. you count led zeppelin which is probably unfair some people do I mean, Plant I mean, definitely did his plant, part yeah. in putting yeah. his I mean, cock into their rock. I mean, all you gotta but, do is watch Song Remains the Same. It's all over the place. True. But but yeah, you know, it, for all that it's moved away, the fact is <clears throat> there are more bands culturally relevant today referencing 
Pet Sounds and Sgt. Pepper and Odyssey and Oracle. Then there are bands referencing Zep 1, 2, 3, 4, or any of that stuff, you know. And, I don't and know. that, that Maybe. will probably change again, but. I think we're just in two camps, is the problem here. We're, we're splitting the two camps. We're in. There's the. There is the Pet Sounds camp of people that are writing more artsy indie type stuff and mm-hmm. then there's the camp of like zeppelin black sabbath all of this there's still a, a strong presence in it's, yeah there. but they're two different camps they I don't mean, I guess that they don't really meet in the equal, middle there's equal amounts equal? of artists all right, all right. producing I mean, that there's a channel on sirius called octane oh shit yeah tune it to octane someday man that look at our record store day list avenge sevenfold uh, Bullet from Cody, a Valentine, the sword. Man, it's it's still strong, but it's it's funny you brought it up like that because it is like there's two camps. There's a camp of artists that all harken back to Beatles and and Beach Boys and Kinks and Zombies, and there's the other that's like fuck that Zeppelin, Sabbath, Maiden, like all this. You know, the funny thing is, I mean, you list Zeppelin. Even they're kind of split down the middle. It's like they had moments of really hearkening to like the classical instrumentation, whether it was oh, like yeah, classical for sure. guitar or any of that. And they definitely don't. Robert Plant shudders and dies a little inside. And you tell him, like, yeah, man, you guys invented heavy metal. He's like, I fucking hate heavy metal. <laughs> he does. He hates it. He doesn't like it. And he doesn't like those comparisons. Mm-hmm. So I think that's funny. He did his best to get as far away from him as he could in the 80s. Yes. And the 90s and the 2000s and shit, man. They say he's living here. This he's is, not, this is here. not a very heavy metal town. He's not living here. I know he's not. Just oh let me dream. God. Oh, my God. If I have to hear one more guy come into the shop and tell me he saw him out. I saw him at Cheddar's, bro. <laughs> you didn't see our plant. He loves Cheddar's. He loves Cheddar's. <laughs> a whole I lot swear. of Cheddar. He likes it. He loves it. A whole it. lot of Cheddar's, man. A whole lot of Cheddar's. He loves it. He gets extra fries. So, <laughs> God. you get two sides, Robert: fries and fries. <laughs> what started this rumor of Robert Plant living in Bowling Green? Because, uh, what's his name? Why Byron. Lincoln. Byron. Byron House, who played yeah, bass but... with him, lives here, and in all likelihood, he probably does live in Nashville at least some of the time. Sure, and it's a short drive. I'm sure he's been here. He has stayed in a hotel here at least twice. I can confirm that I have seen pictures. Hmm. Just because well, I you know, know the man. I've seen pictures. The... You you know him. Who? Robert? Yeah. We're tight. I saw that picture of uh, two together. <laughs> yeah. That was in Nashville though, not Bowling Green. Right. Right. But no, seriously, the guy who uh is a manager here at a hotel or whatever. Has verified it. Huh. I have seen pictures. The rumor is he lives in Old Stone. Yeah, that yeah. big, big rich neighborhood. Because he loves to play golf so yeah, much. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's a big. A it, 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 if he did, it would be a big fancy house. Yeah, I don't think. And that's, I don't picture Art playing as a golfer. I picture him as like a tabletop miniatures player or some shit. Yeah. Going off in the Mordor to fight the oh, yeah. Elven dwarves. <laughs> he definitely spent some, some time with D and D. Yeah, I'm sure of it. Magic the Gathering, it. maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's it's in his blood, man. Nerd. Yeah. Well, appreciate you guys talking <laughs> to me about Bro Pop. Absolutely. It's man. been great. It's, it's been, been good. Time. And and Lee, you're uh, 
you love pet sounds, man. I do love pet sounds. And it's... before we get out of here, I, I just want to say, I'm here with my two copies. Of Tell the us album. about the two copies real quick, like the difference between. Okay, the two. so yeah, so I've got my U.S. original mono. I've got my brother reprise 1972 reissue. The um, one funny thing about Pet Sounds, for all the time that was spent and all the money that was spent making it, all of the mix down happened in like roughly nine hours. Mm. Like one day. That's bad. Capital was pissed. They did not like the record when they heard it. That's why they buried it with the greatest hits like two months after it was released. And they he Brian was put really, really, really on the spot to get it mixed and submitted. So, honestly, it doesn't sound very good. It's kind of muffled. It's kind of quiet. There's not a lot of separation between the instruments. Things are, can be really buried. And so, later, when the Beach Boys had the opportunity to start their own record label, which was a subset of, like, Warner Reprise, being Brother, Brother Records, they started reissuing all the back catalog, uh, which is when you get this Brother Reprise 1972 reissue with the kind of, in my opinion, much uglier brown <laughs> now, cover. Is it the only one with a brown cover? Is that particular yes, it's, version? Yes, it's the only only version with a brown cover, and it's one of only two versions until maybe recently. Yeah. I'll be real, I don't keep up with a ton of modern reissues. Um, well, it's tough now when Brian just started spitting everything back out. It, it got real it, tough. Exactly. To I've heard that some of the modern reissues are really great, but I haven't done the research to know why. What I do know is that in 1972, they reissued this album as a standalone with a brown cover and also backed with, of course, now I'm going to blank. Um, is it Friends? It wasn't Friends. Friends was with 2020, I think. Um, hmm. It was like a two LP set with, we talked about it. Yeah. We had one at the shop. <clears throat> yeah, we did. Uh, and those are the only two versions, at least until maybe recently that got Brian Wilson's preferred mixes. He had the opportunity to sit back down with the tapes, with everything. And I'll tell you guys, if you have the opportunity, that is the way, in my personal opinion, to listen to the record. Again, now, I'll tell you. Is it in stereo or mono? Mono. Mix. Okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, any of the stereo mixes, I'm also a sucker for, at least when we're talking like 60 stuff, I'm a sucker for mono. Most of the people who are mixing stuff down and mastering stuff had spent a lot more time working in mono than they had in stereo. Yeah. So it's not until at least 1968, 69, 70, where stereo... See, and Matt, you normally look for electronically rechanneled for stereo. That's normally what you look for in your records. That's my it? bag, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. I'm interested to talk to you about that when well, we have when we have more time. Not Wait, now. we're full of shit. Not that now. was a joke. I'm yeah. sorry. We're full of shit. That was All a joke. Right, see? That was a fucking Good. joke. Let me make me look stupid. Let me stop this off. Let I was me, trying. Let me stop. Let I me was stop trying this. not to be an asshole. No, I did it. I played it too straight. I played. You it did. Too you straight. played it too straight. <laughs> I usually know when you're faking, Alan. I played it too straight. I apologize. Make me look stupid on the podcast. Yeah, both are in mono, but the '70s brother reissues are way better if you can find them, get them. I agree. I, I've listened to it at the shop. Yeah, it's, great. it's it's way louder. It's way clearer. Bass is punchier, less muffled. You can hear a lot more detail in the instrumentation, and uh, uh, I don't know. I was just really lucky. I don't really remember why I heard about that reissue so early on collecting, mm-hmm. but I bought my copy for like twenty bucks, and before the tens, you know, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, 
and going price is about 50 bucks now. Damn. So if you can find a good deal on one, get it. It, honest to God, is worth it. It's the best way to listen to this I album. I always love you, but long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure. 